Hello and welcome to season three, episode two of Dualist Unity. I am you, but will be playing the part of Andrew today. I'll be playing the part of Ray just to keep it nice and simple. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Liam, otherwise known as Yamsocks on TikTok, uh, Yamsocks on Instagram, I believe, and Yamsocks on YouTube. Um, Liam is interesting, to say the least. He is enthusiastic, he is uh, well-spoken, and he likes to explore all the different avenues that we tend to talk about here on the podcast. He discusses math, science, spirituality, philosophy, and of course, occasionally he shares some epic music. So we are very excited to have Liam join us here today. Uh, Liam, before we get started, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your character, uh, how you came across this path in general, and what you're doing now? Sure. So I play a bit of a strange role on this planet. I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of unnecessary divisions in the different fields like math and religion and spirituality and philosophy. And, you know, that's, it's been, I've been put on a certain path. It's like all these fields seem like the same field just looked at and from different perspectives. And I want to make that very clear to the world that, you know, there is no distinction between psychology or sociology or philosophy and mathematics, etc. It's all the same field. And, uh, and it's my passion to build the bridges between those things. Yeah, yeah, I find that one of our not that we have any goals with this podcast necessarily, but building those bridges is one of our favorite things to do, I would say. And it's, it's enjoyable when we have someone on who can recognize the that there is no division, and yet we can have discussions with the idea that there is division and recognize right. the illusion, but well, still, that's the fun of it. Exactly. Still have conversations about it with that recognition sort of in the background. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited to uh to be chatting with you today. Great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so out of curiosity, and this is just from 20 years of slogging through it, as it were, and being here, uh, as you've experienced in your own life, I've just been here a little longer. Um, do you find that in trying to pursue that mission or build that bridge, as it were, that the problem is lack of data or the problem is just lack of clarity? Oh, we certainly have enough data. That's for sure. <laughs> There's no... I think it would be more accurate to say clarity is the issue but it's not really an issue because you know i don't believe in the in problems <laughs> everything that happens on this planet i think is naturally arising and if it's naturally arising then it's allowed to happen so any perceived divisions between the world is is a part of the play part of the leela part of the maya and so i'm i'm happy to experience it all but i think it is a lack of clarity a lack of understanding i like the way you put that Everything kind of serves its own purpose. Everything is is the pendulum, as it were. But that that includes this conversation, right? Like, there's no problem in being divisive. There's no problem in going down those avenues and causing consequence and all of that. But a natural result is people like us tend to come along and go, "Did you know this is happening?" And the conversation starts to build as a result, right? Like we are we are a part of that process, even in trying not to see it as a problem. I find that really interesting. Oh, it, it can get quite meta. <laughs> It, the whole universe loves to reference itself and so uh, we are the universe referencing its problems and referencing the solutions to the problems in which we are both a part of and are living and so i think that is exciting and it's all a part of the play <laughs> 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, something something I've uh, heard you mention a few times is the idea of of with beliefs and belief systems that you've sort of come to the recognition that they're all true in a sense. So I'm curious with that, like, I don't know, I kind of want to chat about this and go back and forth maybe a little, like when you say all is true, is it in the paradoxical sense that they're true in the sense that they are something within everything? Or do you find a distinction between the truth and that everything just is but concepts are also the truth because they are something within everything? Or do you find a distinction between the recognition that the truth just is, and then sometimes concepts can be a little bit distorted? Do you see like a distinction there? Or is it all sort of within the realm of, of being what is? I like that word distortion a lot. Uh, I think that word is used quite frequently in in the law of one, which is a nice little uh, uh, avenue to explore. But I'd say yes to all of that, <laughs> first of all. But um, we can kind of have some things that people say that there's an element of truth, but then we can kind of find another way of saying it, which seems a little bit more accurate to the matter. And so it does kind of feel sometimes, although surely there is an element of truth in all words that have ever been spoken. There's a sort of hierarchy to them. Some are closer to, to truth than others when you compare one to the other. But I think it's just a real big game of rock, paper, scissors. Like, yes, rock really is better than scissors. Like, no comparison there. Or, or there is a comparison. Like, Rock always beats scissors, uh, and scissors always beats paper, and paper always beats rock. Similarly, when you compare two uh, like beliefs, you may find that one is more structured, more fundamental, speaks to your heart more. But as soon as you take two or more into account, it's, you'll start getting feedback loops, and the hierarchy of beliefs eventually runs into circles. And so as a whole, and you ask, what's the best rock, paper, scissors hand? It's like, well, there isn't. But any two you pick, one will be better than the other. Similarly, any two beliefs you pick, one will be more accurate. But as a whole, what's the most accurate belief? There isn't one. But every being on this planet has beliefs that they have gotten from their own real experience. Thus, any experience that they have has been an authentic reality to them. And so any thoughts on the matter, their beliefs constructed from their experience must be true to them. So every word ever spoken from anyone's experience ever has been a reality, at least to one person. That was beautifully said. I just wanted to say that quickly because it's absolutely true. It depends on where we are, what the truth looks like. And I, I don't know if you've ever run across power versus force by Hawkins. He kind of goes through that, um, that at different states of our own self-perception that goes with a certain God view. It goes with a certain worldview just as a result of the way we must see the world because of how we see ourselves. And so it makes sense that our truth would change accordingly. Right. And, and, and to not consider that unfortunately causes a lot of problems in conversations as a whole. But on the other hand, you also have to be willing to accept that some people don't want to leave where they've become comfortable. Like they've just attached them, themselves to that worldview. And that I think is, is the only, not, not problem, but um, sticking point. It's where we tend to get stuck, right? It's just, it's like, but this is where I feel secure. 
-hmm. This is what I know. And, and so I think it's even more important to have people like you out there just kind of poking holes in the idea of knowing as a whole, right? Because <laughs> I think, I think that is the only real issue that, that our culture tends to, to get stuck on is this idea of knowing that, that once we've had a thought, once we've experienced something and turned that into a thought or a belief, that's it, we're done. Put a bow on it, wrap it up, right? We can just move on now. Whereas it's the, the unpacking of it over and over and over again, the, the action or the being that, that state of mind that is unpacking, that is the truth, or at least that allows us to, to express or, or embody or recognize the truth. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yes. As soon as we put it into a, a mental object, you know, we identify it with, and we start living in our constructed reality. Because it's not only that you live in a house and this house is your comfort zone. You have a, the mental object of the house in your mind and your past memories that tie yourself to it. I think that's why so many Buddhists vow to be a bit nomadic, that uh, you cannot stay in one place for so long because you'll get attached to it. It's just natural. You know, you'll start forming memories and these memories are very moving. Memories are one of the most moving forces on the planet. And these are the constructions that we familiarize with ourselves and, and get stuck in. And if we can live so fully in the present without any notion of the past, then there would be no memory to be attached to. There is only what you are in right now. Then it's difficult to believe in much, right? And I'm so before when you were um, speaking about belief and the idea that all beliefs have the potential to be true to that which or he or she who experiences that. But what are your thoughts on the idea of belief itself? Because that is something that we oftentimes on our podcast and just when Ray and I go back and forth are, are constantly questioning is, is the idea of belief itself and the idea that we don't actually need to believe in anything outside of myself here and now to exist and have not just exist, but have a fulfilling life. And so much of our society has gotten, starts to cling to this idea that, oh, you have to believe in something or else, you know, what's the point of all of this? So what are your thoughts on just not any specific belief, but the notion of belief itself? And are there any sort of beliefs that you find yourself holding on to or do you tend to question anything you gravitate towards and and begin clinging to you know the more i think about belief the more i realize i have no idea what it means <laughs> like it's such a confounding topic i i feel like the concept of belief itself is ultimately a kind of a moot point and that it is it is is empty of any inherent meaning but we use it in conversation a lot. We go, oh, I believe that so-and-so and so and this and that. But I feel like what we really mean is, is like, like there, I have observed a pattern in my experience where this happens. And that's, that's, I can, that pretty much sums up all usages of, of the word belief in my own experience is what I really mean when I say I believe something is I have observed a pattern in my own experience. Um, and that's fair. Sometimes that pattern holds and sometimes that pattern doesn't hold. But I can assure to you that the one pattern that has never not held for me is the pattern of recognizing my own 
self, my own existence, whatever that means, what is the self or what it means to exist and in what? No idea. <laughs> but there is some essence of self here to experience. And that is a pattern that uh, surely has never broke. That was well said. I really like that. I, I think in, for myself that belief tends to be synonymous with assume, right? I believe, I assume. They, they tend to go hand in hand. It might be on, on observation, but it's still me settling on endpoint. This is what I, I think is, uh, as opposed to me going, maybe, kind of, could be, <laughs> right? Which makes conversations very, very difficult. I, I definitely understand that for sure. I liked what you were saying earlier uh, regarding a conscious environment, um, or at least that's the, the phrase that I use, because it's never just the house you live in. It's your thoughts about the house. It's your thoughts about yourself in the house. It's everything to do with the environment as a whole, because as we've said on our own merch, your awareness of the universe is the universe that you're aware of, right? Mm. It's always you, <laughs> regardless of how you want to look at it. So I, I really enjoyed the way that, that you put that. And when you were talking about this cycle, this pattern of, of recognizing yourself, that's a hell of a cycle. Like I really, that, that is what's driven me for years because I went through half my life having very few of those recognitions and admittedly, Lots of reasons to say I never could because I just had one of those lives that, that was dark for a good portion of it. But then as I recognized, oh, there's something underneath all of these thoughts about who I am, right? That became the cycle, almost like a half-life. Like every time I'd go through that recognition, it would get a little, little, little easier to get to that recognition. Now it seems it's not even about that recognition anymore because there's nothing else. Now, for the most part, what it seems is just not thinking about myself, not recognizing myself. It's when I'm lost in myself that that recognition has to come around. When I'm lost in the idea or the belief or the assumption of myself that I find I have to go through that cycle to come back to that moment of, <gasps> aha, right? But as long as I'm not doing that, I'm pretty much constantly in a moment of, of clarity, not an aha moment, but an unrolling aha moment that's just constant without ever having like that note of surprise, right? It's just, you're just there. It reminds me of the, uh, did you ever play the game where um, when you remember it, you lose the game? No. So this is, uh, this is quite an old game. It's this, like, it's not, it's barely a game, but um, it's kind of the social thing you do where, you, where everyone agrees to play this game. And the whole point of the game is to forget that you're playing. And, um, and when you remember that you're playing the game, you lose the game. And th so this can go on for decades, you know, after like 40 years, like, you know, an old friend will text you, I lost the game. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I forgot we were playing this game. And I feel like it's funny that this game has arisen naturally. There's, there will be a huge amount of your viewers who have played this, but... There's, an, there's another game that has been going for time immemorial, and it's quite the opposite, where you win the game by remembering that you were playing it. And the goal is to constantly win the game, to never be in a state where you do not realize that you're playing the game. Until you've had enough with that game, and then you want to switch over to the other game where you win by forgetting. <laughs> and then there's the whole third game of remembering that you're playing both games simultaneously. And this is the cycle of awareness. And I think this is beautiful of 
awareness of something, awareness of nothing, to the self and from the self, no self and all self, one self, many selves, depending on how you're feeling. And all of them are permitted, right? They're all happening now. Yeah, that is when you started going on about the the game of of you lose the game when you forget that you're playing the game. I, I started to think about how it seems like the game we're playing now is is about remembering that we're playing a game and that's that's all it's it's ever been. And with that and the remembering that you're just, you know, more or less God playing the game of forgetting that it's playing the game. When it comes to your identity as Liam, do you find yourself getting caught in that often? Do you see yourself beyond the confines of, of that limited identity that most people hold on to the idea of themselves? Or are you able to recognize yourself in, in everything, in every moment that you're experiencing? I mean, I know for myself, I go back and forth all the time with that, getting lost in identity and then remembering that I'm never what I think I am. But I'm curious about how that, how that is for you and, and your relationship, I guess, with the idea of, of Liam in that way. Well, the mind certainly fluctuates between its identity, between the lower self and the higher self, but the higher self has never fluctuated in identity. There's the, the five aspects of Shiva, which is a beautiful piece of, of Hinduism, which is uh, a text of, on the path of, that all jnana yogis will follow, the yogis on the search through enlightenment via wisdom. One of the proofs that you're eventually shown is the proof that God and, and human soul are equivalent. And um, part of the proof tells you that, the, that God has five aspects that define all of God's doings. Because um, God is a being, but does some doings. And similarly, this consciousness can be described in a whole with a model of five aspects that describe the doings of consciousness. And when we compare the five aspects of consciousness and the five aspects of God, they become equivalent. You find no distinction. So there is a logical proof here. Um, but that the proof itself is unimportant. The aspect reminded me of this aspect of identity and, and, and remembering the self. Uh, the, the five, that's particularly the fourth aspect that both God and consciousness has is the, is the ability of self-revelation. And the first three are, are creation, preservation, and destruction of the present moment. This present moment is constantly being created, preserved, and destroyed. But this present moment constantly reveals itself to itself, but it also constantly hides itself from itself, and that's the fifth. And those are quite interesting that not only is there the power for existence to be created, preserved, or destroyed, there's the power for you to hide from yourself and remember yourself. And every single aspect of this existence from the atom to the stars is constantly undergoing quick uh, fluctuations and frequencies, vibrations between the state of revelation and hiding. The dance of the cosmos is precisely that. 
That's awesome. And, and you know, at, at the same time, the entire notion of a big bang or, or reality as a whole just coming into being and then vanishing. Exactly. Like, it's all the same goddamn cycle. Like, that's, that's really it. But it's funny because we can have these conversations and they're useful to us and to people who are also having these conversations with themselves. I mean, that is definitely the, uh, the bridge that I found to be the most stable is when people are, are already on this journey, as opposed to you trying to talk to them about this journey while they're not on it. And they're only thinking about, oh, that'd be a nice journey. Oh, you look like you're having fun. And it's like, the, <laughs> it's like you're speaking a different language, using the same words, but they have a completely different meaning. And so what I, I find interesting is that as you've been on your path, I don't know how old you are in human earth years. It doesn't really matter. But as you've been on your path, waking up, recognizing yourself, doing all that, you're running across more and more people, people who are doing the same thing. And as I said, I'm old. I've been at this for, for 20 years. When I first started talking to people about this, and I've said this before, I'm surprised if they didn't throw fruit at me. Like it, <laughs> it, it wasn't well received. This was right after 9-11. This was not a conversation about you know being one that, that was welcome at most neighborhood pubs, right? <laughs> so over the years, what I've found is that it's less about the conversation, though those are fun for me. I love the deep dives. I like discussions like this. I love that. But talking to your average person who's going about their life, trying to pay their bills, figure out where they belong in the world as a puppet made of meat, because that's the only way they perceive themselves. I, I find that it's just 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 embodying it, just being, just relaxing, not, not having to be anything, you know, having not meditating in their presence, but being the state of meditation, I guess, in their presence. And I'm just wondering in your, in your life and in your journey, personal experiences, going out, talking to strangers. I don't know if you have a job or anything like that, but how do you find communication? Because you dive deep and you're good at it. And I can tell that you really enjoy it, but I also know that there are rare places that you can do that publicly. How do you find that changes your relationships with people? I probably first, find no distinction between those who are on the path and those who are not. I think the greatest leveling plane when it comes to all beings being on the same path is a quote I heard from uh, Paramahansa Yogananda when he was speaking to some sage who said, um, if, if the spiritual aspirant is measured by the renunciation then the greatest spiritual uh, aspirant is he who has renounced spirituality, i.e. ordinary people. They've renounced the greatest thing, right? He who has renounced God, you know, the atheist is the greatest renunciant because they've renounced the, the, the infinite um, in yes place. And no, of something I mean, finite. there's still the ability to identify there, right? Like there's still with, with atheism, especially <laughs> there's still this idea that I'm an atheist. Right. Right. So I haven't renounced that. I'm still, and Andrew and I have talked about this before that while that's super true, the one common religion amongst all of us is this idea that our identity is the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there is a common God, it's, it's the ego. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's nice. I like that. Certainly, it would seem that not many of the average Joes would prefer to go on such a deep dive when it comes to anything. But you do not need to go deep to find the truth, because the, the truth is just as shallow as it is deep, because there are two types of thinkers in the world, those who are, who are uh, 
So I just wanted to take a quick moment here to announce that we have our California mini retreat coming up on April 11th to April 15th. And it's going to be a blast. There's no agenda. There's no thing that you got to try to be or become. Just time to express yourself. Time to be yourself. Time to find out. What is it to be myself? Can I really just do that? Can I really just let go? Can I really just show up without any preparation whatsoever to every situation that I get into with a bunch of people doing the same and a bunch of games to play as you do it? We're going to play some pool. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to shoot the breeze. We're going to hang out. It's the dopest sleepover that you could possibly go to. And you can join us and save $150 by using code BIGBEAR150 at dualisticunity.com. Just go to the California Mini Retreat details. You'll find it in the navigation bar. Enter the coupon code, and you can use this coupon code in addition to your already existing Patreon discount. Very much looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, who are vertical and will always uh, strive to go deeper into a conversation or equivalently abstractify and generalize higher. Then there are the lateral thinkers who prefer never to stray too into the depth too much of a topic, but switch from topic to topic. And this is actually one of the models they use in diagnosing certain psychological disorders. If you're way too much of a, of a vertical thinker, then you're usually on the autistic spectrum. You know, it's like, I only want to think about trains and how deep does the train rabbit hole go? I want to know all the engine parts and every, every part of the caboose and whatnot. Um, Similarly, too much of a lateral thinker is someone who, who bridges gaps between uh, uh, different fields uh, on such a, a level that there, that there shouldn't be connections. And you start connecting fields that, that are unnecessary. And at that point, that's usually on the, the schizoaffective spectrum. When you start connecting everything and everything, you know, you see, you see someone uh, look at you strange and suddenly the connection between you that and the CIA is made it's like the CIA are after me or something like that um, and usually you'll find that there is a bit of both lateral thinking and vertical thinking that is expanded upon in the spiritual path where one makes it so that connections are being made between things but you're also going deeper and so it's kind of like whatever type of thinker you were before, you are uh, shown the other and you are expanded so that you become a planar thinker, someone who can traverse both depth and the shallowness and the, the broad and width of it all. And so whenever I see someone who is too much a lateral thinker or too much a vertical thinker, I show them the opposite to kind of expand that column or that, or increase the depth of their waters. Uh, and it doesn't even matter the topic. It doesn't even matter the topic. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm truly looking forward to just sitting down and having a coffee with you at some point. I don't know if our listeners are aware of this actually, but Liam and I actually exist in the same geographic location. He, he, he lives about an hour, an hour's drive away from me on the south end of Vancouver Island. And so um, I fully intend to go down there and visit him at some point just to get a little, <laughs> a little bit of this face-to-face -face for sure. Um, I just wanted to let Wonderful. Andrew weigh in on that quickly, but I wanted to say quickly that I appreciate you being here today because in my own journey, I started out 
deep diving. Once I woke up, it was, that was it. It was all about how deep can I get out of this? Cause I was in hell all the time. So the only way out was through. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Vancouver Island. I lived in, in the bush out towards Tofino for eight months. I lived in a shack with my wife. We just lived off nice. the land. Oh yeah. And then I came back into the world and I ran across somebody a little while later who said, you know, there's a such thing as being heavenly, heavenly minded, but no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And it hit, it hit. I was like, Oh, I don't like that. I should look at that. Cause I don't like that. And, and it was very much that it was that I wasn't looking at the generalities. I wasn't looking at, you know, how this applies to everyday conversations, how this is just, a, just as applicable to a residential painter as it is to a mathematician, right? Mm-hmm. It's just as applicable sitting in a park as it is sitting in front of a computer working on a theory, right? But it's, it's in embodying it. It's not just about talking about it, right? It's in how you relax as a person. And I'd say that it was at that point that my progress really started to pick up because progress towards nowhere obviously and, right? but uh, it, it was just because all of a sudden I realized that I was still trying to get somewhere I was there was still effort involved instead instead of just allowing myself to be what I already was hmm. and I was trying to make it metaphysical I was trying to make it special and admittedly that is where a lot of my reactions to self-entitled spiritual gurus tend to come from is because (laughs) as soon as you put yourself up there it's like okay there's a reason you're up there there's a reason that you like that and it was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn so it's it's super inspiring talking to you and talking to Andrew just to see that you're both at that point far far earlier than I ever was so we're in good shape the intellect always wants there to be a certain sacred prophecy, a certain special archetypal destiny that has always been this great organization, infinitely intricate, something so specific, only a God could construct something like that. Um, But the problem with something like that is when you have such a specific intellectual concept about truth, then it cannot be universal. And the whole thing about universal truth is that it's applicable everywhere and all pervasively. That's why we call it omnipresent, because it, it is able to be applied in all scenarios. And so something so specific cannot be applied in all scenarios. It can only be applied in a very specific scenario. Um, so a lot of the times, one of the greatest criticisms that people tell me when I'm speaking about anything like this, they'll say, you're very vague. I'm like, exactly, exactly. Because if, if I'm being vague and I'm being broad, and the most broad is that which is everything, the more broad and vague you are, the more universal you are. And that's why people have such great uh, yearnings towards like horoscopes and astrological birth charts that go well and this could be applied to anyone it's like exactly that's what makes it true that's what makes it truth and um we get so caught up in specificality that we don't realize how how general everything really is yeah absolutely everything right and and with that with the specificity and you know in the realm of the the spiritual gurus, and I oftentimes see that as one of the most egotistical sort of titles anyone can can give themselves. Do you mm. come across many of them on TikTok? And do you ever feel like I don't know, feel like you kind of want to rock some boats and and maybe 
stitch a video and be like, hold on now, maybe, you know, maybe there's another side to this. And maybe this isn't all the truth because I find myself, you know, I can get a little bit more, maybe uh, I don't want to compare us, but like, sometimes I can get pretty emotional with things. And, and sometimes I get frustrated with people like spiritual snake oil salesmen. Um, but I'm curious if you ever come across that and, and you want to, uh, I don't know, rock some boats maybe, and, and ask some questions and boil up some, some conversation with that. Mm -hmm. Or do you tend to stay away from that? And if so, why to either one? Definitely. Uh, anytime I see any sort of spirituality behind uh, a paywall, it's, I, I've, you know, immediate red flag there. But I'm never like, uh, I'm never like frustrated or annoyed. I love it. I, it's because it's great. Because, you know, my, I, I try to remind myself anytime I see something that I might disagree with, I, the first thing I tell myself is the word yes. Like, like all things are valid and whatever path they're on, even if it's this weird, cheesy, pseudo spiritual, materialistic path, new age guru, I'm like, you know what? They're living a valid path. And uh, I'm just going to sit back with popcorn because sometimes because um, they do have a lot of deep uh, revelations, but they also have a very deep constructed identity. Um, and it's that famous Alan Watts quote. Uh, when thieves are in a building and the police come, the thieves run to the, to the second floor. And when the police go to the second floor, the thieves run to the third floor, etc. It's the moment that the ego is being threatened, it identifies with the higher power. And that's the, the essence of, of many spiritual gurus, especially on, in the West, is, is they have genuinely... Uh, noticed and observed that there is some notion of a higher power but then they've identified with that and then they've seen that it's it's the most profitable thing there is um but i i do not uh call them out for it because i know that they do have truth in their words and i'll and i'll listen for that and i have the discernment to know which of their words is spoken from the heart or from the ego and i'm just there for what's from the heart and i'll take those and, and move on and smile and that is a totally fair response and i think at one point in my life i, I would have agreed with you for sure um out of curiosity liam do you have kids do i have kids any maybe uh more metaphorical fair enough not physical okay so one of the things that has admittedly changed how i react or how i respond to those who would put themselves above um is my daughter watching her grow up and watching as she developed a sense that there are people who would take advantage of her. Mm. She didn't know that for the longest time because it didn't never occur to her that that could be the case because she never felt inclined to do that because she grew up in a life where she didn't have a lot of pain or hardship or anything like that. So there was no, no defense mechanism that developed as a result. But because of that, she got blindsided by every manipulative friend that she ever made. Mm -hmm. Right. And, it's because of that more than anything that I, I tend to speak up when it comes to spiritual gurus or teachers. And it's not because the message is bad. Often the message is great. Often the insights are fantastic. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that it's coming from someone above. It's that it's coming from somebody who would convince you that they are above because of their insight. 
because of what they're sharing. That, that subconscious message that once you're wise enough, you can be me, that's that subtle poison that I find should be addressed more than anything, more than the insights themselves, because an insight can be super powerful, but if it's coming from somebody who has you looking up to them, it's immediately cut the efficacy in half, right? So that's, I think, why I tend to speak up, not, not out of righteousness, not of anything else. It's kind of like when I leave a comment on a spiritual creator's uh, post on TikTok, I'm not leaving it for them. I'm leaving it for anybody who might happen to run across that post. I'm leaving it for anybody who might be tempted to get sucked into this without giving it a second thought and then realize, oh, this person gave it a second thought. Maybe I can right. too, right? And I think that's the only reason, not so much to, to cause a beef, though admittedly, you know, the friction that erupts from these conversations can also be quite educational and fun. But I, I think that, as we said in the last episode, it's through that, that discomfort of, of criticism and scrutiny that we grow together. May I ask, what is it you fear about uh, these worlds that your daughter is being um, manipulated by? Not so much fear. I would say that just awareness that there are so many paths that we have already taken as a result of, of, of falling into that mentality. There are so many um, habits and addictions that, that the ego has already been showing for hundreds and thousands of years that it's important to be aware of them so that way we don't have to necessarily repeat them out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the only thing. It's not, it's not fear so much as sharing the paths that I've been on and saying, you know, just so you know, there's some snakes down that way, or, or just so you know, that one gets a little rocky. You know, you don't have to go that way, but you can, but you don't have to if you don't want to. But I know for a lot of my life, like I was raised Roman Catholic. And when I was young, I felt God. It was in everything. And as I got older, it became more and more conceptual and more and more people said, no, I can tell you all about God. Just come to me. Mm -hmm. And it never dawned on me that perhaps the real source of that would be me, the existence, right? Mm -hmm. my, my ability to discern, my ability to question, my ability to be aware from moment to moment, not just my blind faith in those who would say, trust me, right? And, and so, yeah, I would say it's not necessarily fear so much as just there are so many other options that we tend to not be aware of simply because we've been, been caught in habitual loops. Let us hope this discernment is hereditary. Then. You know, if, if, it's funny because I consider myself to be a slow learner at, at, to a large degree. And, and I say that with a little bit of tongue in cheek. I'm being a little bit funny about that. But at, at the same token, I was very smart as a kid as we all were, because we were in the moment, we were present, we were actually there. And so we were running at 100%. And then we got caught up in all these ideas of ourselves. And so she is catching on to these conversations, not not to the deep dive extent that we often go into, but she's starting to wonder about things that I never did at 15 years old, never had conversations like this with 15 years at 15 years old, because the environment wasn't there mm. either. Right. And so if there's anything there to be inspired by, it's how common this conversation is becoming. Not just for her, but because of people like you, because of people like Andrew, because of the people like the, the rest of our, our community on Dualistic Unity. And you have a Discord server yourself. You actually have a community growing as well, do you not? This is true. I do. And it is quite bizarre that there is a certain, a certain pawn game that's being played and perhaps has been for a long time. Um, in constructing a very peculiar generation, which is subtly aware 
of, uh, of, 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 of a lot of psychological phenomena. One of the greatest um, it's very peculiar. It's always the time old saying that every generation uh, is smarter than the last, but the last is smart or is more wise than than the beginning because you convert intelligence into wisdom. And, you know, it's the question, do you want a young doctor or an old doctor? Well, the young doctor's got all the new medical terminology and stuff, uh, but the old doctor's got the experience. They've converted intelligence into wisdom. But something very peculiar is happening. People around my age and younger is that um, there's this strange archetypal parental child role that's being swapped and so many of people my age and younger are becoming the therapists for their parents which is which is very strange never before has that like ever happened it's almost as if that the uh that the you know the the baby boomers and gen xers somewhere in between there the children they raised they were never good enough parents for and so this strange sort of synesthesia between parent-child relationship, this new generation of children is becoming the, the fulfilling the archetypal role of certain parenting that the last two generations ago couldn't perform for our parents. And certain aspects are, of course, like, you know, the, the child's not going to go out and get a job, although some people are with TikTok. Um, but not often or not for many, many years could you speak about um, meditation and even the concept of anything like a, like a chakra or a singing bowl or a mantra or uh, deconstructing religion with such level of authenticity with child. You could, you could not have had that uh, ex except for maybe rural India. Uh, not here for not not here ever not ever in the west so this is a peculiar change occurring and it should be observed yeah that is a that's a fascinating observation i haven't really thought of it in that way although i have sort of recognized and experienced it just talking to people in my own life and and family members and you know siblings and parents and and all of that. And so bringing it back to Ray's reasoning for questioning and rocking boats, as we oftentimes say, I think it's a little bit related to that point of that sort of idea that the younger generation maybe is smarter with the newer ideas and they're, and they're very enthusiastic and rambunctious in a lot of ways. And the older generation is a little bit wiser, but with wisdom comes being set in your ways in a sense. And so I think when we come across spiritual gurus, they oftentimes feel like they're a combination of both and they get sort of stuck in their ways. Like they, they figure things out and then all of a sudden they think they have it all figured out. And so they're mm -hmm. just like, I'm up here, come follow me. This is the way as opposed to being a way. So I think just continuing the process of questioning and sometimes that involves criticism to 
continue those conversations. And I don't want to say any of it is wrong, but almost just deter us from getting too locked into a state of mind or a frame of mind. And so when I come across someone who is saying like, this is the truth, this thing is happening, just follow me, believe this, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's not that I am coming at them as a, as a person or an identity, but more so the message they are conveying and just saying like, oh, well, you know, what if it's not the only way? What if there are other aspects of this? And so I think it's not even the settling that's ever as important as the continued process of questioning. And, and so I think that's a lot of the reason why I do it. And I like really enjoy the way you put it about, you know, the younger versus older generation and the sort of shifts that we're seeing that are happening right now and in our generations currently. That was inter interesting how, how we were talking about that. And I'm just going to throw this back to Liam in a second, but it's very much like the process of us individually getting over an addiction. We have to keep questioning the behavior. We have to keep looking at it ourselves and going, where's this coming from? What's the outcome? What's the payoff? Why am I so invested in this, right? And so we're talking about having conversations with other people, quote unquote, other people, but we're really just talking about more process within our awareness, more process within our mind. And so it's the same process of addiction, right? We are being accountable for our other thoughts. We are challenging those other thoughts. We're looking at them and going, oh, I think there's something more to this because they're our thoughts, right? It would be different if we were attacking other people. It would be different if you were going after the speaker themselves, vilifying them as a person rather than the subject, rather than the concepts or, or the, the snake oil that's being presented as truth, right? I think that that process of us discussing things and going through criticism and just feeling uncomfortable about it um, is the same process that we go through individually. I think that, as Liam was saying earlier, everything's a matter of perspective, right? Like we think that we are evolving as a species, but it really is just the same one thing. It's the same one person just going through a process. There will always be a version to every aspect of life, but we need not be the champion who battles all that which we pre perceive as adverse. If you choose to opt out of a certain antagonization, then someone else will fill your role always. And it's a little less stressful when we stop. I've always said that you can denote three stages of life, childhood, teenagerhood, and adulthood. And I describe them as follows. You are a child for as long as you do not question. And you are a teenager for as long as you question. But you are an adult when you question why you're questioning. Because <laughs> as a kid, you just absorb knowledge. You know, no questions asked. Parent knows all the answers to everything. You ask them a question uh, and, you, and, it's, and you don't even really necessarily question. It's just like you're absorbing information. Teenagehood, you begin to question authority. You go, okay, who, who, who gets the, who says this, this teacher gets to tell me how it is, or even my own parents, and you start to realize they're, they're, you know, they're human too, and they're not perfect. But at some point, and actually a lot of people never get to this point in their life, um, but they never question why they're questioning. Why is it that I question authority? Why is it that I question 
who gets to, why my parents says this or why my teacher said this or why uh, or why why am I so adverse to what the government does you know and it's important to think about <laughs> and and at that point I claim you are an adult when you can question why you're questioning then you have grown to a level where it's no longer about an aversion to an authority. It's about acceptance to whatever place and path that you're put on. And if you are put in a position where there is discipline and you are questioning that, then it was never a matter of if or if not the, the discipliner was authentic. It was a matter of whether or not you could submit yourself to the wills of the universe. And I think that is an important stepping stone in our journey. And it's a tough point. What are your thoughts on Zen out of curiosity? Zen is, is beautiful. <laughs> um, Zen takes an insane amount of discipline, of course, because you know, no other position in life do you just sit down and stare at a wall. You know, that's, that's their whole meditation. Nothing to that grasps the intellect. They don't, they don't put the, uh, the carrot on a string in front of it. They don't tell you like, ah, yes, meditate on the chakras. Here are the 112 different pathways to salvation, etc. Uh, Zen goes, none of that. Just sit. No enlightenment. No such thing. Just sit. <laughs> There's no point. It's for nothing. There is no point in sitting, but I want you to sit. Do it for nothing. And that's beautiful. <laughs> I felt the same way. Absolutely. I was sharing Andrew in season one. One of my favorite Zen stories is a student sitting in a classroom. His instructor's at the front. He just stands up, takes his fan, folds it up, smacks the table and walks out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. Liam, I'm, I'm, I have another question for you. With uh, I heard you talking a little bit about your parents and the role they've played and and it seems like you've sort of in i don't know if how to even put it your awakening or recognition or, or interest in these topics do you think that they have played a major role if so what do you think that was and and when did you begin coming to these recognitions i heard you tell one story about when you were three years old and you heard your heart beating on a i think it was on a pillow or something and you recognized that one day it would stop beating and i was like holy shit this dude's recognizing this at three years old like that's that's pretty wild but it was it was fascinating so i'm curious your relationship with with your parents and i guess even outside of that too with with conversing about this like we're having a conversation right now do you find a lot of people in your life that you're you come across that you have these conversations with is it with your family are there friends that you're close with that that like to get deep at times or uh have, have you had a i don't know less do you come across them less often um one of my favorite quotes is that um god often plants his sages uh in places you don't expect and the the I, the main message of that in the books that I read wasn't necessarily because, you know, because, oh, well, it's weird to find someone here. But the, but the, the message of that uh, quote was that, uh, that people who are divinely situated or spiritual aspirants tend to be like pretty evenly spread out across the globe. Um, 
And so there's this very rarely is there ever like uh, like an accumulation, a, a dense point of people. So usually for most spiritual aspirants, they will not find many fellow uh, spiritual aspirants um, in such close quarters. And, and that's not to say that there's just a minority of them. It's just they're so evenly dispersed about the planet. So in my day-to-day life, I do not have many that I can speak on such matters and, you know, have them follow. But uh, I still try it anyway, just, just for the hell of it. <laughs> there's a certain sort of um, pseudo-masochism involved where if you are talking about anything, say baseball, and you just interject with like something, you know, some strange koan about a rotating ball and wind. And they're like, ha ha. And, and, you know, it's, it kind of throws a little bit of your friendship at risk. It's like, this guy, this guy's weird, man. Like (laughs) he's just, he's just like, I'm planting seeds to what I'm doing. And I, and I love doing that, even if uh, at risk of, of losing that friendship, just, uh, uh, and that's the masochism involved is I, I do not mind what they think. I am happy to just uh, do little comments here and there. Uh, but by and large, no, I do not get to speak about these things. To my parents, I do a little bit. Um, I kind of force them to. Sometimes they come out. Sometimes uh, they begin to start a, a question on it. But uh, it does not necessarily feel like at this stage of their life, at least, they are ready to undertake because they're householders. You know, they, they have to provide for uh, my sister who's, who's going to uh, middle school. And so you cannot have nomadic parents following Zazen uh, and have a child going to middle school, or at least it's very difficult to do that here in the West. And so because of that, they cannot take upon the role of such a, such a seeker this time in my life that is totally fair i have a question for you because as you're talking about your relationship with friends and and of course just throwing things in there tossing seeds because you because it's fun because you can without necessarily worrying about whether or not that friend's going to be there tomorrow or whether or not they're going to approve um that's basically the template for my life so so i just wanted to ask you do you think that that willingness to not attached to friends, to let them go, to just be yourself regardless, stems from the fact that you do see yourself as the whole? Do you think that it's not necessarily even about them so much as about you? I've always kind of been my own best friend. Like, um, my mother's wish for me in I, th- I think grade one was she just she, all she didn't care what grades I got how well I did she wanted me to have one friend and in grade two similar story she wanted me to have two friends and grade three she wanted me to have many friends etc um, whether or not that happened or not I don't know but I've never really cared because um I've always just been so happy to be by myself, to go in the backyard and just play with sticks and stuff like that. Like I never felt like I was, I was missing anything. And for eight years of my life, I was an only child before my sister came in those eight years. Um, 
you know, my parents would always say, like, you've always wanted like a sibling. And maybe that's true. I, I, some aspect of me loves having a sister. But, uh, but, I, I was, but I was content as well. And I've never gone home after a day and gone, oh, man, I really wish I could see a friend right now. Because I had my greatest friend here. My greatest friend has always been here. The one that can never leave me. And, you know, <laughs> Uh, you can call it the self, but it's also the universe. The universe has always been with me. I'm walking alone in a park. I never feel alone. You cannot feel alone when you are, when there's nothing to be separate from. Every leaf is your friend. And I've always like, you know, you could say that like, sure. Haha. Every leaf is your friend, but like, no, seriously. I like, you know, like I, I dap them up. I give them little high fives when I'm walking and, uh, and I, it's, it's great. (laughs) And, I've had many friends come and go, many best friends come and go. And, and sometimes there is a bit of heartbreak, of course, as part of the human experience. But uh, I've never been like mortified by it because, as I said, I've always had like the greatest friend there, the universe. And every being is simply a part of that great friend. You know, I'm sure many people have, have, have considered this, and this is a very rarely articulated point, is that we kind of have archetypal friends. And when some one friend leaves that, another friend fills their place, which is kind of like them. And we dream about them. And sometimes we get those the specific people that fill that role confused. Uh, and say you have some friend named Ryan. Uh, but, but when you were a child, you had a friend a lot like Ryan. But that was... I don't know, Nathan. And in your dreams, you often get confused between Nathan and Ryan because they're kind of the same person, uh, but just at different parts in your life, different places of the world. And that's kind of how I felt with with specific people in my life. It's like, oh, uh, Nathan's no longer my friend. That's fine because the Nathan-Ryan archetypal friend will always be fulfilled and someone else will fill that, you know? (laughs) So that's what I have to say. That's fantastic. I'm going to pass this back to to Andrew here quickly. I just wanted to say that that view is actually why I I view death the way that I do, right? Like when we lose somebody, we're not losing that that person. We're losing the expression of that person. We're losing Mm -hmm. that embodiment of that person. But the person that was there is the person that's everywhere, right? Like we're not losing them. It's just that perception that they were that specific character, right? So I, I just really appreciated how you put that. It definitely helps. And I know from myself having a decade of like deep, dark depression, that was the insight that changed my whole life. That, yeah, I was alone in that I was one, in that it was unity, right? It's not loneliness at that point. It changes tone entirely. And so I'll pass this back to Andrew now. Beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say the idea of loneliness because I'll get asked about that and, you know, comments or DMs and say, like, I feel so lonely. Like, how do you get over it? And it's like, well, there's a lot of depth to that. And you can go pretty deep because the idea of loneliness is a very, very identity based feeling. It's because you feel like you are this that is separate from everything. So as you let go of that idea of yourself as something separate, as something that isn't God, as something that isn't 
existence itself or, you know, just the earth wandering around as you are able to let go of that, there isn't the feeling of loneliness almost doesn't even apply anymore. And I found that because I, I do have different groupings of friends from, you know, wherever in different parts of my life. And, but I've never really like, I've always been okay being by myself as well. And I, I really appreciate the time I have to myself and even, you know, even thinking of something like taking psychedelics or something like mushroom trips, uh, which I did want to ask you about as well, if, if uh, your experience with anything like that, but mm. with those um, I've done both. I've done them with one friend. I've done them with a couple of friends. I've done them by myself and they're all drastically different. None is better or worse than the other, but I've always, you're able to go a little bit, I don't know, deeper when you're by yourself. Um, and I found that even just being by myself allows me to, I don't know, have, have different sorts of recognitions and, and there's like different aspects of, of both types of relationships. And, but I think as you, you know, let go of that idea of yourself more and more as being something that's separate, loneliness doesn't even really apply because you do see yourself in everything. And it's like, is, is that mind of yours? Is it inside of your head or is it outside of your head or mm -hmm. is it both? And, and that's, that's the paradox, but yeah, loneliness is a funny one because it is as much as we feel like we're alone. It's like the most, one of the most egotistical sort of feelings because we're defining ourselves and then very much perceiving that division. But going back um, to the idea of psychedelics, I'm curious do you have any experience with psychedelics? And of course, so <laughs> how much and and what types of psychedelics have have you delved into? There is a deep connection between the concept of loneliness or the lack thereof and the feelings you get on psychedelics, like you know that aspect of of blending into the couch. You know, you are the couch, you are the room, or whatever situation you're in. You, you, your mind sort of melts into it on. Uh, on say shrooms, which I've experienced, or or less so acid, as it's a more of a more of a sensory experience than a headspace. Um, I feel like the sort of state of minds that can be achieved in psychedelics can be appreciated while sober too, like. And running back to that concept of loneliness, we tend to only identify uh, with the fact that we're alone if we believe that there's something separate. And we tend to only think that what is separate is that in which our awareness does not contain. Like, for, ex for example, I have no sense of feeling in my desk in front of me. I have no awareness pervading my desk. Thus, I am not desk. But the more you start to think about, okay, where does the awareness stop? Where does the body stop? Where does my sensation stop? And this is the kind of boundaries that are broken on psychedelics. Um, for example, you, if you pick any object and hold it, you can flick your hand, you'll feel it. But if you flick the object you're holding, you'll also feel it. So the lines become a little blurred here. I have sensation in hand. I can feel the same vibrations in the object that I'm holding. But, um, but still, there is a mental distinction. But that distinction is broken 
on psychedelics, shattered even, eviscerated, decimated, <laughs> sometimes quite violently. And some, at some point or another, we realize that the boundaries of our senses are quite arbitrary and that there really is no stopping point of our senses. Our awareness or pervades this whole room by mere vision alone, by mere auditory experience alone. These sounds pervade all of it. All vibrations in the universe are connected to each other. What you sense, I sense through a chain of events. All information is shared between everything all of the time across the entirety of the cosmos. And at that point, the body is no longer the, uh, the physical body. Your body cannot said to be that. You are the astral body, the network of, of pure information being shared within this conscious experience of all the objects within it. And perhaps psychedelics is a bit of a shortcut to that. Certain entheogens, um, you're, you want to speed run uh, spirituality? You, you, take, you take a drug. But the problem with that is most are simply amplifiers of awareness. They take what's already in it and intensify the experience. They add nothing new. There's nothing new that you're experiencing. It's just more of what you're experiencing. The problem with that is if you have any shred of subconscious trauma, it'll amplify that too. And you'll have a bad trip or you'll, you might even lead yourself to psychosis. And that's one of the biggest dangers is that... Um, Drugs can amplify residual mental illnesses because they amplify anything and everything. Uh, but there is a good side of that too, which is that it may break that part of you, which uh, it, you, you may be forced to detach yourself from that part of you and stop from identifying with it. You know, you might have two hours of the most in insane trip about feeling of, of, of dying and you have no point but to let go of that concept of death itself and at that point it becomes useful but if you don't get to that point then we call it psychosis if you're stuck in that in that loop yeah that's interesting for sure absolutely i think it's interesting that psychedelics tend to um they remove the walls that we've built up over time to try and uh, be a governor about our experience as unity, right? The more we think about ourselves, the less we feel, right? The more you, you're thinking that your hand is separate, the less that you're aware of the thing that you're holding in your hand, mm. right? And so when we do psychedelics, that certainty, that idea of ourself just gets kind of torn away. It's like, here you are exactly as you started. And if you rely on all of that in terms of, of being your buffer for uh, stability or a false sense of security, and my, my wife is uh, in her master's of counseling, this is something we talk about all the time, that a large, a large portion of the mental health issues in our society are directly related to our commitment to, our, to the idea of ourself being separate. It's exacerbated by that commitment to that idea of ourself being the truth. And so when psychedelics come into play, the idea of yourself disappears, you find that yourself sitting there going, I know I think something normally. I don't know what that thing is. And from there, you either panic or you don't, right? But the people who have learned to overly rely on that idea of themselves, they panic because they've been taught not having an idea of yourself is a bad thing, mm -hmm. that it is something to be concerned about. And immediately that changes the trip. All of a sudden they feel like they've lost something that was important, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you don't reinforce that 
and they get to that point and they go, oh, I'm not thinking about myself and all my problems are gone. What just happened? Right. It's a totally different reaction, but I, I've watched people go both ways in that state. And it's always based on how much they think the idea of themselves gives them value. It's so true. And this is what the Buddha noticed that you can causally depend every single uh, state of suffering from one source, and that's ignorance of your true identity. And once that is known, all other things come into place. And it's such a good model. You can pick any, any, any suffering. You, could, you will find that, okay, here it goes like this. If the suffering is about anger, then that anger always stems from fear. And that's, that's pretty easy. It's like, okay, um, uh, you're, anger, you're angry at uh, your, the team that's uh, against your favorite um, basketball team. Why are you angry? Well, you're, you, you fear that your favorite team is going to lose. That's why you're angry at them. So that all anger always stems from fear. But fear always stems from attachment. You fear that your team is going to lose because you're attached to them winning. Um, and furthermore, that attachment is always caused by ignorance of true identity and that your identity is not dependent on any of your attachments. Your identity does not depend on what, what your favorite team does. And once you understand that, that, uh, that people aren't going to think of you differently because your favorite team lost, or that you are not going to think of yourself any differently, uh, then there is no longer an attachment, and thus there is no longer a fear, and thus there is no anger. And I love that model because it works every time as far as my pattern of experience goes. Yeah, I've, I've found that you know, along the lines of the idea of, of knowing yourself or figuring out what you want in life or, or what your meaning or your, the purpose, why you're here and all of those things are like, aren't, I feel like our entire society is sort of caught up in that, that loop in a lot of ways in trying to figure out what the point of all of this is. And, you know, the act of trying to figure it out could be an argument that that is the point if, if you're doing it now, right? So even with, you know, trying to figure out consciousness or understand consciousness, um, I've, I've heard you say in the past that looking for consciousness or trying to figure out consciousness is like looking for a magnifying glass through a magnifying glass. And <laughs> it's, it's so funny to me that so many people run around almost like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to figure out what the point of all of this is while they're it. Like yeah, right. <laughs> God has confused itself into thinking that it's not God. Like it's, it's fascinating mm -hmm. to see, but how pervasive it's become in our society, that mentality, like that's, you know, knowing yourself is the most important thing. So have you ever gotten caught up in that? And was there a point where you recognized, oh, I, I am myself. And if I'm trying to figure out or know myself, that implies that, you know, there's the knower, the one that's trying to know and the one that's being known. So maybe, you know, there isn't two of me, but there's only one. Was there a point when you recognize that or was it, it's, more of a just process do you remember like a have you had any stark experiences where you're like holy shit like it, <laughs> it makes more sense now 
Oh, that's a good question. Of course, life is riddled with subtle revelations that build up over time. Uh, or rather, the revelations themselves are the deconstruction of what you have known the whole time. Um, and the more I think about it, the more it feels like uh, I've kind of always known. Um, I've only believed that there was a certain time where it changed, but that too is a concept. Um, and I don't know if I can pinpoint a time when something like that like really occurred to me, except for now. <laughs> I can tell you that now it's really occurring to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a... Um, Alan Watts would always say, you don't know what you want because you're it. Uh, you don't know. You don't know what you're missing because there's nothing to miss. You know, or Eckhart Tolle would say, um, how funny is it that we can come to a place in our life where we say, I can't live with myself anymore. And who is this I and who is this myself that it cannot live with? Is there one of me or two of me? Why is one talking to the other? <laughs> so <laughs> we are constantly looking for the object of awareness that is awareness, the object of consciousness that is consciousness. We're trying to find something that expresses it perfectly, adequately, 100%. But you're looking at it. <laughs> Precisely the totality of your experience right now is it. That's it. But it's nothing in particular because it changes from one moment to another. And for some reason, we have this idea that for something to, the true identity of something is not changing. It shouldn't change because if it changes, well, then its identity clearly isn't permanent. Uh, and we're looking for the permanent sense of self. But the Buddhists will tell you there is none. What have you ever seen that's permanent? Nothing, right? And this is the struggle. We're constantly looking for some, a permanent sense of self. When it is that which sees all but cannot be seen, that which hears all but cannot be heard, fire cannot burn it, water cannot wet it. It is not this abode of flesh and bones which sleeps, decays, and dies. It is the immortal consciousness, the lord of the earthly skies. That was well said. I just want to appreciate how that was worded, for sure. Um, I do have a question for you. In, in fact, uh, we were talking about abandoning the idea of separation, or rather recognizing that, however uh, convincing it might be, it's just an idea. It's just a perception. That's really all it is. Have you ever had experience with anything in regards to, say, energy healing or Reiki or martial arts, um, where you would experience that the physicality of your consciousness expanding outside of your body? I mean, Andrew and I were talking in, early in season one about if you look at a rock, well, that rock's not aware. It's like, well, you're looking at the rock. So the rock's aware. Yeah, right. right? right. Because there's no separation. It's a part of your awareness. Some, some essence of it is comprised of your awareness. I'm part of it too. That's right. Exactly. Can't leave me out of the equation. I am awareness. And we tend to miss that. We, we tend to look at who am I rather than what am I, which is existence. 
I'm existence. It starts and ends with me as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's the whole point. And that's the most honest thing that we can say. And oddly enough, somebody who defines himself would go, that's egotistical. Right? You, just, you said you're everything. You said you're God. It's like, right. And this is where the, the conversation gets weird. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we have different ideas well, yeah, of God. Isn't the self-center to your experience? Right? But again, it's you're speaking two different languages. So back to my question. Have you ever had experience with Reiki or, or with extending your awareness of your own energy outside of the bounds that you would normally associate with your body? With Reiki, not directly. However, I have noticed many things. For example, um, I really like giving my friends like massages whenever I can or tactile experiences like uh like i'll be like hey can i just like like draw on your back um it doesn't really matter what i draw i'll just like you know and then i get carried away and then you know that's kind of why i have this uh this wartenberg wheel you know it's just very very interesting to you know isolate and focus your awareness upon certain parts of the body and i love exploring this and i have many friends who explore this too and it's so fascinating um Reiki and Tai Chi are quite similar with, you know, the, the body movements and whatnot. And a huge part of that is to calm the mind because slow rhythmic uh, circles and swirls and geodesic, geodesic spirals of your hands. Uh, truthfully, there's nothing going on in the hands. What's going on is the, your attention and your awareness is using the hand as a guidepost. And that is creating the swirls of patterns in your own consciousness. Uh, and that is what calms you because it's your consciousness which is, which is moving with the Tai Chi, with the Reiki, and uh, even more phys and, and that's through visual. But any of the senses, uh, you can create the same phenomena. You can close your eyes and just feel someone uh, draw circles around your back and that will have the same effect because it does not matter the object of the experience. It's the fact that you as the subject are following this movement and this motion. And that in itself is where the expansion comes from, I believe. Absolutely. And I'm going to let Andrew weigh in on this quickly, but as somebody who's done Qigong and Tai Chi and Wing Chun and a great deal of, of martial arts and, and Reiki and, and all that you nailed it, right? Because the entire practice is getting yourself out of the way. Like in Tai Chi, you'll find that the movements are the most natural movements when you're relaxed, right? It's just a flow that you find yourself getting into outside of learning the initial structure, which is you just telling your mind, like, stop trying to do what you're, what you're used to doing, right? As you relax into it, as you get deeper into your breath, as you get farther and farther away out of your identity, you find that these, these motions are actually supernatural. Like they're very, very fluid and almost like the body wants to move that way. Mm -hmm. Same with the breathing. Yeah, absolutely. I found that with the, in my own experience, because I don't have a ton of experience with Reiki or martial arts or anything like that, but it's been interesting. And as I've Know, sort of gone about removing more labels and ideas and sort of gone through the process of unlearning all of the things that I thought to be the truth of, of what I am and what other people are. It's been funny in conversations 
when I talk to people about our ideas of ourself, how much of a concept that it is. And I was actually talking to my mom yesterday about the idea of death and she was getting, she can be very emotional. I get a lot of that from, from her. And, and she was talking about the idea of, of death and how she's very afraid of it and, and all of these things. And I said, well, what is really dying? She's like the essence of me, this body. And I was explaining to her how, you know, our cells are sort of like rejuvenating all the time. So we really aren't our bodies so much. And it's more so the idea and, and, it's only because you define yourself as what you think you are. And it's fascinating how much of those fears, if not all of our fears, are rooted in how we define ourselves, which isn't actually a physical thing at all. It's very much a conceptual idea that we get caught up in. And, and so as you're able to let go of the idea of yourself, there isn't as much stress or tension or fixation on those fears because it almost doesn't even rationally make any sense anymore unless you're defining yourself as something that's limited and and with the energy side of it even like i think it's been proven that our our sort of like energy expands out beyond the limitations of our skin as well and it's it's just fascinating how much of our limitations of what we experience are based on the concept that we identify with and and all of our fears and worries almost go along with that so as we're able to practice sort of these energy related practices it's like it's like when you can feel sort of outside of the body or recognize that you are not confined to this body it can strip away a lot of the conceptual fear and worry as well. And, and Liam, in, in your experience, have you found that to be the case? Like when it comes to something like fear and worry, as you have, you know, recognized more and more or come closer to the recognition of, of the truth, whatever that may be, have you found that there has been less fear and worry in your day-to-day life? What's interesting is when we tell ourselves we're not the mind or the body, we're lying. When we tell ourselves, I'm not the mind, it's the mind telling itself I'm not the mind, but for the one who's listening. And the mind has this conception that it has this idea of some sense of self. And it's true. That's true. The mind does have a sense of self. The mind is the mind. So when we have a discussion with people who are not... Uh, acutely aware of of an identity beyond mind and they say no i think i am the mind it's like damn straight you are because the one who just said that and reacted was the mind so when listening to this know that the one who is being spoken to is not the mind but the one beyond the mind and what's really interesting then is that this whole concept of self-realization was just the mind letting go of its own identity so that the listener or the watcher that pervades it can have a more direct experience with the world. And so it's this ultimate sense of, of, of liberation because ultimately it's the mind liberating itself 
from itself. Because when you tell yourself you're not the mind, the mind is lying to itself. But it's lying to itself so that the listener cannot identify. Because the listener, the watcher, this awareness blindly loves everything in its experience. Everything. It gives power, creation, preservation, destruction to everything within its experience, including the mind. The mind tells itself, I'm a goat. The awareness goes, yes, I am. I am a goat. So at some point, even though the mind cannot grasp it, the mind realizes there's an awareness here. And it goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This whole time, I've been talking to myself without realizing that there was an awareness here listening to me. And listening so fully that it identifies with what I am saying. And I've been calling myself the mind this whole time because I am the mind. But I'm so sorry. I've said that so many times that you start to believe that you're the mind. But you're so much more. You're what gives the mind it, uh, its power, its oomph and whatnot. And so this is, in my opinion, the entirety the story of the entire uh, Abrahamic faith, the story of God and uh, the devil, the story of consciousness and the ego, the story of that sense of I am and that sense of self, that sense of, uh, of constructed identity and mind. And that's why uh, Lucifer is the fallen angel. It's the one that speaks on behalf of, of God, the one that does the doings. It's the mind. The mind is the one who speaks. The mind is the one who does all the thinking. God never thinks. Consciousness, that awareness never thinks. But it imprisons God, eventually becomes God's worst enemy and imprisons him uh, because Lucifer or the mind does not understand. It cannot understand. But it was and always has been God's best friend. And we'll always remember that. And thus at the end, the mind is the one that frees that awareness by remembering the placement of the mind and the awareness or the heart, whatever you want to call it. Nice. Beautifully said. I, I enjoyed listening to you speak a lot, which is why I listen to your talk, uh, TikTok account so frequently. And I just want to mention to everybody who's listening to this right now that if you haven't as yet gone and subscribed to Liam's account on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, definitely go and do that. Uh, I wanted to return quickly to what you were saying about uh, listening, because when I was taking Kung Fu, that was something that my Sifu would say to me quite frequently. Listen, and he wasn't talking about my ears. He was just talking about the removal of, of uh, a direction, of an intention, just being there with sensitivity. And so I found that to be incredibly useful, but I, th I think you've got a point there that it, while God is what is, the devil is kind of how God experiences that, right? It's, it's how we get to be under the belief that we're separate, right? We, we've often said that that's why the devil said, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I'd rather think I'm in control and cause my own misery, right? Than just let go and be part of the flow, which I always am anyway. It's just my perception of it, right? So on that note, we're going to have to come up to the end of this episode here very shortly. I just want to thank you and everybody who's joined us for this episode for joining us today. Uh, Liam, I know that you mentioned that there aren't a lot of 
people that you talk to about this deep dive stuff outside of your social media and of course your endeavors online. I would just like to take this opportunity right now to welcome you to the Dualistic Unity community. Um, <laughs> we've had a number of people say, when are you going to have them online? And so we're glad that you were finally able to join us. I'm going to try and convince you to possibly uh, come to some of our free group Zoom chats over the next several months. And perhaps I'm going to try and convince you to come and join us in November for our Dualistic Unity retreat, because I know you're on the island with me. So it'd be pretty easy for you to do. But we'll talk about that in the future. Um, sure. Before I go any further Thank here, you. I just want to uh, give you an opportunity to tell everybody where they can reach you, what projects you're currently working on, and if there's anything else you'd like to share. Um, above all, I would like people to go and go to a forest or a river or a beach and just, you know, all of this absorption of, of so-called knowledge theory really must be paired with practice and that practice is so important because then you actualize it um and i think most people who are podcast listeners uh, you need not look for for me just go and go and explore a forest go and just breathe that's your only responsibility but if you must brush up on theory then you can find me on tiktok at yam socks y-a-m-s-o-x and uh and my website is also yamsocks.ca excellently said and of course you're absolutely right they should go out to the forest or down by the beach or just take a walk but of course regardless of what you're doing you are still participating in nature even if you're listening to liam because as we've discussed he is a tree and he is the ocean. And so regardless, you're doing yourself a solid just by being I'm also you. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. See? And who doesn't want to be Steve Buscemi? Let's be right. honest. So, uh, Andrew, is there anything you'd like to wrap up here with the episode? Just a big thank you to Liam. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. Honestly, I love, I love your content. <laughs> and I'm very grateful to have had you on here and your ability to you know converse with us and and just take our questions and respond with very eloquent and articulate pieces that could probably be put into poems or something but um, i'm honored to be here it's such a, such yeah, a lovely so, lovely podcast thank you guys thank you we appreciate that and yeah thank you very much and i look forward to uh keeping in touch in the future of course nice. And on that note, I'm just going to share quickly the, uh, the insight that I wrote down as we were discussing that the only way to accurately express the vastness of reality is reality itself. And so I wanted to thank both of you for being here and expressing what reality is and the listener for listening, being reality and helping us come together. I very much appreciate it. And of course, we will see you next week for episode three. And if you can join us on the group chats this Wednesday and next Wednesday, we'd love to see you there. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone.